Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the reign of Amaziah as we pick up in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Now, we're coming again to Amaziah, who became the king in Israel at the death of his father who was assassinated at the end of chapter 12. Now in the second year that Joash, the son of Jehoiahaz, was the king of Israel, Amaziah, whose father's name was also Joash, The king of Judah began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign. He reigned for 29 years. And his mother's name was Jehoiadan. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not as much as David, his father. He did according to all of the things as Joash, his father, did. Now notice, not as much as David, his father. David wasn't his father directly, but was his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. But uh, in, in the Bible, they don't always signify the great-great-great-greats. I only point this out here because there are certain people who fancy that the Bible has errors in it. And when you get to the book of Daniel, a book that the critics especially like to attack, because it's such a totally damaging book for those that don't believe that God was able to speak to men. For the prophecies of Daniel are so accurate and so intricate that the only way the Bible critics could do anything to destroy Daniel was to say that Daniel didn't write it. It was written by some fellow, some 300, 200, 300 years later, who put Daniel's name to it, a very devout young man who wrote this fanciful story after the history happened, and he was really just recording history, but then he put Daniel's name on it to look like Daniel had written it, but it was actually, they say, written after the fact. Well, the fellow was very clever because he deceived Jesus in the thing. Because Jesus refers to the prophecy of Daniel. And when you see the desolation, the abomination of desolation as was spoken by Daniel the prophet. So these Bible critics are actually putting themselves up as smarter than Jesus. But I'm not surprised. That's why I have said I have very little respect for these supposed theological seminaries and brilliant men who have done their best to take away from the work of God in the Scriptures. But in one of the things that they find fault with in Daniel is that it talks about Belshazzar, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, when in reality, Belshazzar was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And so... Uh, The Bible critics say, you see, it calls Belshazzar the son of Nebuchadnezzar, and and he wasn't really, Neopolizer was was the son, and of course now he was the 
grandson. And so the fact that it refers to him as the son of Nebuchadnezzar, they, they try to use that. But here the Bible refers to him as the son of David. And because it, the Bible doesn't have the term, the Hebrew didn't have the term grandson or great-grandson. It was just the son. And as far as my descendants go down the line, they, they, they refer back to me as the father. So the Bible is true, and these brilliant men are liars. <laughs> the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. So I'm only quoting the scripture. Worldly wisdom is so worthless when it comes to the Word of God. I would rather listen to a spirit-filled man who didn't know Greek from hen scratches expound the truth of God's Word than I would some Ph.D., who knew all of the original languages but wasn't born again. For I would learn much more true spiritual truth from the uneducated man than I would the professor. For the natural mind cannot understand the things of the Spirit, neither can it know them, for they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual understands all things, though he is not understood." So I care not for the doctorates of man, honored or earned. They mean nothing to me. I care for the work of the Spirit and the understanding of the Spirit in opening up the Scriptures to our hearts and to our minds. So in the second year of Joash, son of Joash, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign. But he did not come up to the spiritual, though he did good, not as good as his father David. However, he still did not remove the high places of worship, and the people still sacrificed and burned incense on those high places. Now it came to pass, as soon as he had confirmed the kingdom, his father, you remember, was assassinated by the, his servants, he then in turn executed the servants who had assassinated his father. And then he went down against the Edomites and there by the Dead Sea in the Valley of Salt, he killed 10,000 of the Edomites and he took the rock city of Petra. Now he is feeling pretty strong, pretty powerful. So Amaziah sent messengers to Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, who was the son of Jehu, who was the king over Israel. And he said, come, let's face off with each other. And Jehoash, the king of Israel, sent to Amaziah, and he said, look, the thistle that was in Lebanon said to the cedar, give to me your daughter for my son as his wife. And there passed by a wild beast and trampled down the thistle. Now you have indeed smitten the Edomites. Why don't you just sit at home and be happy and glory in the victory you have? For why should you meddle to your own hurt? However, Amaziah would not hear of it. Therefore Jehoash, the king of Israel, came against him. They met in battle at Beth Shemesh 
which belongs to Judah. So this is not the best Shemesh up near Mount Gilboa. And Judah was put to the worst before Israel, and they fled every man to their tents. And Jehoiash, the king of Israel, took Amaziah, the king of Judah, at Beth Shemesh, and he came to Jerusalem, and he broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate, 400 cubits, or about 600 feet of the wall. He took all of the gold and the silver and all of the vessels that were found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and the hostages, and he returned to Samaria. Now the rest of the acts of Joash, which he did, again, we are told they're written in the chronicles of the kings of Israel. This meddling to your own hurt, it's something that people quite often do. There are things that you have no business meddling with. You can only get hurt if you do. There are places that as a Christian you have no business meddling around. And if you do, you're only going to get hurt. It is a very reasonable question. Why should you meddle to your own hurt? Don't meddle around with anything that can bring you into a snare, into a trap. I wrote a paper in a philosophy class one time on the Christian ethic. For our philosophy teacher, we were studying at Orange Coast College in a philosophy class, and they wanted us to do a paper on ethics. And so I chose to do one on Christian ethics. And I took the statements of Paul the Apostle in Corinthians, seeking to show that the Christian ethic is the broadest ethic of any philosophy, broader than any philosophical ethic. For Paul, in his Corinthian epistle, said, All things are lawful for me. Now, you can't get a broader ethic than that. I can do anything. And I pointed out how that so many people looked at Christianity as a very binding, restricting kind of a thing. But in reality, the true Christian ethic is so broad. All things are lawful for me. But, Paul said, all things are not expedient. Now, the idea of expediency, you see, as a Christian, I am pressing towards the mark for the price of the high calling of God. I'm in a race, and I'm in the race to win. I'm pressing towards my goal. Now, there are things that can impede my progress towards my goal. But I'm so interested in achieving my goal, I'm not going to get involved with things that could impede my progress. So it may be lawful for me. It wouldn't send me to hell. It wouldn't destroy me for doing it. But it would hinder me in my progress towards my goal. So though I could do it, I don't do it because I don't want to be impeded in my pressing towards the mark. He repeated, all things are lawful for me. But not everything builds up. Now, as a child of God, I want actually to have Christ built up in me. 
and there are things that tear down the image of Christ. Now, though they are lawful, though I could lawfully do it, they wouldn't send me to hell, yet they would take me away from him. It would be tearing down. And thus I don't do them because I don't want anything to tear me down. I'm only desiring to be built up in Christ Jesus. And then he finally concludes, all things are lawful for me. Same broad Christian ethic. But he said, I will not be brought under the power of any. Now you see, as a Christian, I know what real freedom is. Very few people really know true freedom. But as a Christian, I know true freedom. Those in the world, they talk about free love and freedom and so forth. They don't really know what freedom is. They are so bound by their own lust and all, and by the things that they're in. They are so bound, they don't know what freedom is. They've been brought under the power of the things they're doing. Having really tasted of freedom, knowing what freedom is, I love freedom so much that I'm not going to sacrifice freedom by meddling around with something that could bring me under its power. So if by doing it, I could be brought under its influence, I could be brought under its power, I'm not going to do it because I love my freedom too much. If I were brought under its power, then I don't have this glorious free ethic that says all things are lawful for me. You know, it is really a blessing to see things and say, well, I could be doing that, but I don't want to. Or I don't need to. I don't have to have that. I don't have to do that. Sure, I could do it, but I don't have to. I don't need to. I'm very complete and satisfied and happy with my present relationship with Jesus Christ, and I'm not reaching out and grabbing for, for you know, higher standards or higher things. Just very content in Christ Jesus. And it's neat to have that kind of freedom, to have the capacity, but not be pushed by some ambition or desire or, you know, drive within, I've got to have it kind of a thing. Oh, what freedom that is. Lawful, sure. Send me to hell, no. But it might impede my progress towards heaven. I don't want that. It might bring me under its power. I don't want that. I'm too free, and I love my freedom. Incidentally, I got an A on the paper. That's... <laughs> Blew the teacher's mind. She didn't even know anything about Christian philosophy at all and just absolutely blew her mind. She made notations all over that paper. <laughs> she was really surprised and, and all by it. In fact, she, I had quite a talk with her. Meddling to your own hurt. Now, the result of the meddling, the king came and tore down the wall. The defenses were destroyed. The result of our meddling, of course, is, is once you do it, your defenses are, are destroyed. It's so much easier to do it the second time, and even easier the third, and the fourth, the fifth, until it's it just a, a course and a matter of life. 
First time it was so hard. You resisted a lot. But you meddled. You got burned. Not only that, the treasures were taken away. And you lose something valuable whenever you meddle to your own hurt. Even as the treasures of purity, innocence, health, clear mind are so often lost because people have meddled to their own hurt. The death of Amaziah is recorded in verse 17. We'll read about him again when we get to the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. And Azariah became the king in his place. He was only 16 years old when he took over from his father. Actually, Amaziah was assassinated even as was his own father. And his son, 16 years old, was, became king. And uh, he didn't do much but build Elath, and he uh, died. Now, in the 15th year of Amaziah, so we've already had his son succeed him, but now we go back and pick up one more part of the story. Jeroboam, the son of Joash, began to reign in Samaria. Now, this is the time when Amos and Hosea were both prophesying. So if you, if you and you should, as you develop in your biblical uh, studies, you should start to fit the prophets back into here now because you'll understand their prophecies so much better when you realize the period of history. This is now getting to the end of the northern kingdom of Israel. We're coming down into the last century for that kingdom in the spiritual decline, and God is now beginning to raise up more prophets. And if you'll read the prophecies of Amos and Hosea, you'll understand them much better when you can in your mind fit them into this period of spiritual declension in the northern kingdom of Israel. And also a mention of Jonah the prophet uh, here in verse 25. So these three uh, men were sent of God uh, to the northern kingdom at this particular time to prophesy unto them. Now this Jeroboam is Jeroboam the second. Jeroboam was the very first king over Israel and now another king named after him. And he reigned for 41 years, but he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord saw the afflictions of Israel. It was very bitter. No one to help them. They were isolated. And the Lord said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. The rest of Acts of Jeroboam are in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel, which we do not have. Now the reign of Azariah, who is also known as Uzziah. Now when you think of Uzziah, and we're back now, Azariah was the son of Amaziah, and he didn't do much. But his son, Azariah, began to reign. The other name was Uzziah and we think now of the prophet Isaiah. And so the prophecies of Isaiah, Isaiah was the prophet who actually began his real career and the prophecies at the death of Uzziah. Uzziah reigned for about 52 years. And you remember there in the sixth chapter of Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, sitting upon the throne, his train to build the temple. So 
uh, we're beginning, when we get to Uzziah, to come into the time, at the end of Uzziah's career, we're coming into the time of Isaiah. He was 16 years old when he began to reign. He reigned for 52 years, one of the longest reigns. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all of his father that Amaziah had done, except that he left the high places where the people were sacrificing. And the Lord smote the king with leprosy. We will get this full story of this when we get to Chronicles. Until the day of his death, and so his son was sort of a go-between. Jotham, his son, uh, was over the house and judging the people, but Uzziah was a king, though leprous. Very popular king, a very good king. Uh, In fact, during his reign, as we get into the Chronicles, it'll tell us that the name Uzziah was on the lips of all the people. He was a powerful, strong leader, good king, and the people really came to trust in him and all because he had brought the kingdom into a place of prosperity. We'll continue with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of 2 Kings on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order 2 Kings 14 through 15 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord bless and keep you in the love of Jesus Christ. And may you experience God's hand upon your life as he trains, as he teaches, as he develops his work of love and grace within your life, as he prepares you for the future and for those things that he wants you to possess of his grace and of his glory. May the Lord strengthen you and cause your life to be a witness for Him. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Through the course of the years, you, our radio listeners, have provided us with valuable feedback as to what has impacted you the most or what has moved you spiritually in your walk with God. So it's with great pleasure that The Word for Today is pleased to offer you a collection of all-time favorites entitled Pastor Chuck Smith's Most Requested Bible Studies. These messages were selected from thousands of studies that were recorded live at Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa over the past 40 years. 
They represent the very best Bible studies by Pastor Chuck Smith. Every message is dynamic and filled with rich insights as Pastor Chuck expounds upon relevant issues on a variety of topics related to the Christian faith. This series will strengthen and inspire you to diligently study the Word of God and apply it to your life. You can order a copy of Pastor Chuck's most requested Bible studies available on MP3 by calling the Word for Today at 1-800-272-9673 or visit us online at thewordfortoday.org.